Speedy Williams. Welcome to the X Factor Open Podcast. Um, obviously, one of the best heading careers of all time, and have moved on to a, just teaching. And it's amazing to see what you've done with your whole rodeo career. So, to kind of dive into it, um, we're here today. I'm going to own up to it right fast. We uh, we roped the speed trainer today. We got your daughter out. So. We time it, right, from the time you release your reins and pick up your rope and can head the horns. And I got my ass kicked today by your daughter on just a shot right from the hip. And then also she can reach further than I can too today. Today. Uh, today. I think when you come back, you'll be able to beat her. You know, Brock Hansen was funny. The first time he got on it, it kind of got him, but he spent about an hour on it and then he was unreal on it. Uh, it's exposing the whole idea and the concept behind it was exposing what we do wrong with our left hand. And that's what got you today was you was thinking about your left hand so much and not your right hand because you were pulling on the reins too much. But the whole idea and the thing behind, I love teaching. You know, I my ever waking moment for so many years of my life was how I could be the best roper there was. Rodeoing, I was very fortunate. We had a lot of little things happen for us at the national finals for us to win eight world titles in a row. Some of the years come down to one or two steers could have went a different way and we wouldn't have won a world title. Uh, the last year, we never even was in the lead to the last cow. That was one we had never done that way. Both of my good horses had went down. A lot of factors had happened. And I'd come to Rich and said, you know, we both had kids that were born. And it was the most miserable year for me rodeoing when I had a little baby at home. My wife wasn't with me. And she had traveled and went with me all the time. And she pretty much was home, doctor's appointment, and leaving for 30, 45 days was not, not what I wanted. And me and Rich talked. He still wanted to try to win a world title and everything. And then the last year me and Rich roped together at the national finals, we were at the Dallas and I had a horse fall. Viper fell, broke a bone in my knee. Two weeks, three weeks later, I had a horse fall with me in a practice pen and pinch a nerve in my back. And I tried to get Rich to rope with somebody else at the national finals in 2005. As a man, I can't even practice. I can't rope. I could not drink a glass of water with my right arm while we were at the national finals. I bought a horse for 50000 watching somebody else riding because Viper was pretty lame and you had to go real fast on him. We get to the national finals and I asked Rich, I said, pick the next guy up. Please, I can't do my job. I can't row. I couldn't. I mean, I literally could not drink a glass of water with my right arm when I competed at the national finals in 2005. Rich goes, no, I'm roping with you. I said, Rich, you understand. I can't compete. I mean, I can't. I'm hurt. When he fell, he pinched a nerve in my back and got two vertebrae there and ribs out. My chiropractor, I went to him when the horse fell with me, and he wouldn't touch me until I get MRI. We get MRI, find out all that, and I said, hey, you either break me, hurt me, or you got to fix me. you got to adjust this. Right. When it popped, it sounded like a 22 went off. It, it stretched those ligaments, and then whenever they come back, it didn't work. Like, I had no strength in my arm. Right. I'm competing at the national finals rodeo. 
and I can't drink with my right hand. What does that do for your confidence going from, well... And so, my horse is old and lame, and he and he's yeah. been at the national finals and run how many steers right around the end of the gate? I yeah. mean, I told Rich, I can't ride him. We get the national finals. He says, why ain't you on Viper? I said, I can't get my rope up. I can't throw that fast. I have no strength in my arm. And I had a horse that would run close, rope, hold it. And needless to say, not being able to practice, I was injured. Our first five, six rounds were terrible. I get on Viper the last three rounds. By halfway through the national finals, I'd got a little strength. was doing therapy. I was doing stuff. We were three eight, three nine, four flat on our last three cows. Rich was like, you should have been on Viper the whole time. I couldn't ride him to begin with. Right. I couldn't function. And that was a turning point for our career because I was injured. And I told him he needed to find somebody else to rodeo. That being injured and competing at the national finals, I think really done something to my drive. Because, you know, your, your knees hurt, your shoulders hurt, you can't do anything. And everything hurts. So he went on and rope with somebody else. Me and Clay was going to do schools and rodeo and rope and the whole thing. And I'd, we blocked off days to do schools, compete a little bit, make the national finals rodeo. But it wasn't the same passion that I'd had my whole career. I did not like being away from home. I did not like being away from my kids. Right. And I had talked to so many peers that I respected rodeoed and their kids were playing games doing sports and they weren't there and i had made a decision that winning a gold buckle i had won eight me and rich had had a fairy tale career now it was about making a living and going through the whole thing i don't like to drive Anybody that knows me, I have drove on many a miles. But if there's another option, I'm going to be in the trailer sleeping, the back seat sleeping. My mind is going to be doing something else besides driving down the road. I have drove a lot when I was young. It's just not something I enjoy to do. Right. But guess what? When I retired, we started the speed roping website of teaching people, me teaching my wife to heal. Guess what? I become the grunt. The driver, the feeder, <laughs> she got to, her only deal was is she had to be on the camera right. talking about what she did wrong at the Ropens. And it was a unique experience for our relationship because the roles completely versed. Guess what? I drove her to the Ropens. I fed the horses. I saddled the horses. She rode. And when we drive home, the worst word she hated to hear was, we're getting closer. She got where she could ride a horse, rope, whole thing, but her timing. We have video after video after video of the wrong time. Right. Find, find out. She never played sports. So the hand-to-eye coordination, the one thing you cannot teach is timing. Yeah. So probably one of the most common things when someone says, oh, that guy's got a lot of natural talent healing. Well, you ought to ask what they did in high school. And if they played basketball, football, baseball, uh, ping pong, there's probably a good chance they're going to pick it up a little quicker than the average person. Hand to eye coordination is a must in healing. Yep. And, you know, we got to thinking about it and it's like that that is something I can't teach. Now, I will give her one thing. My daughter, she was my cowgirl growing up. 
she was out with me all the time. She would ride rope, but when we were off the horse, she never played with the rope. She never butterflied. She never rope. It was a cowgirl. She was my right hand, go with me, whole deal. Never wanted to be away from me. Mama was, she got to see love when she had Gabe because he loved Mama. Right. Now, my daughter is getting into breakaway. I am excited with the future of rodeo for the women. You know, it's really turned a corner. She turns 18 this year, and she's got a little possibilities in the roping world to make some money. Yeah. Now, both of my kids, I made a deal when they were young. I would never make them rope. Now, I have bribed them. When they wanted to go to the movies, we had to rope the Hot Hills. We had to do this. If they wanted something, I would let them earn it through roping. My son, he roped 10 or 15 minutes and gone. 10 or 15 minutes gone. We were baseball players. I built a batting cage, indoor batting cage with an iron mic pitching machine. We had a baseball field at the end of my arena, an outdoor batting cage. When they played baseball, Mama volunteered me to coach. Yep. That was a whole nother experience. I can coach defense, having kids play the whole deal. And then I would, it was amazing how many of my clients that would come for roping lessons were ex-pro baseball players. Right. And, man, I'd get them out there. They'd come out there and help me with my kids, do fundamentals. That was really cool to have some of those people out there. But both of my kids, when they were 12 and 11 years old, decided Haley went to a roping one time and won $1,800. We went to a softball tournament. She played for two weeks, two two days, one second in the tournament, and she won a trophy. Right. And she sat down. She goes, Dad, there's not a muscle in my body that does not hurt. And it was like 30 degrees, wind blowing about 20 miles an hour. And she goes, can I buy a hamburger with this? I says, no, honey, you can't. She says, we spent all weekend over here. And my horse, I won 1800 on my horse last weekend, and he did all the running. And it was a genuine process in her mind. She goes, Dad, can I get an education rodeoing? I said, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, you can. She goes, I might want to rethink my plan here because I really like riding horses, and I really don't like running. Right. And I said, that's totally up to you. And she really got into the roping and has done really good in the team roping world. But they raised her, in my opinion, a little faster than she needed to be raised. She could score ride on good cattle. She can compete. Right. She can ride stick, but she never learned to reach. So when you put her in the World Series barrier and strong steers in those 13 and 14 ropings, she couldn't compete because she has no range. She has to run all the way to the cow. Right. And, you know, it's a whole nother game. You got to learn to reach to be able to compete. As a six header and being 15 years old, it really, we went 18 months there and she didn't do very good at all. Then they lowered her back to a five plus because she went to 70 or 80 ropings, entries, and won two or three checks. And I'll give them the global numbering system. They lowered her back. They pretty much told me one time when I called up there, because of whose daughter is, they'll never lower her. Right. And then they come back and says, you can't argue with the facts. She can't compete as a six. Now, today, can she? 
I don't know. She has improved dramatically, but she don't really care to team rope. It's breakaway now. Right. And, you know, I don't blame her. She don't have to deal with partners. And you, you just have a partner. You got to go every weekend to the ropings and different things. Now, my son, on the other hand, was a whole other case. My son, his uh, attention to detail. When I say playing baseball, when my son was on the pitching mound and the catching position, he was an outstanding player. Any other place on the field, his attention. <laughs> when I say he looked like the little kid on the league ball that sits on the bench, he didn't need to be on the field. I was just like, son, pay attention. But behind the catching mound, when the action was happening all the time, could throw him out at first, could throw him out at second. I mean, in a high tolerance to pain, they'd run over him, stand up with the bag. I was so proud of his grit. But when they put him in any field that it wasn't happening, he might be over playing with the grasshoppers, watching the butterflies. I'm like, hey, pay attention. Okay. <clears throat> so I, I got to back this up right quick because I think this is real interesting about your career. Started out healing and had one really really well where you're from right um, yes. back back east is where you grew up and uh, back east a lot of the setups are real short barriers uh, narrow arenas and and the one th so everything's usually happening fast and grew up healing made your first nfr in 1988 you were telling us this this morning when we were up in the speed trainer mm -hmm. and you're talking about this earlier about heading the horns with those guys at the at the nfr and and i i want you to kind of elaborate that on a little bit so you this was your first nfr you've ever made correct correct and so to make your first finals this is there's a i think there's a few different mindsets in it you get to go through all of these which is really unique to me is one um can i rodeo for a living and do this and then making the finals is a really good uh milestone that you're you are capable of it talented wise so to do that healing is I mean, it's an awesome accomplishment, and you're, to me, I would be thinking how, you know, the next year and how to build on it, and you get roping the horns. Go, go ahead. You tell me this. You can tell everyone this one. <clears throat> well, I headed for my dad in the practice pen a lot, right. turning steers for him. He wanted to turn right in front of the chute so he could make his colts work. He rode outside horses. I grew up riding 10 to 16 outside horses a month. And it really developed a lot into my swing because you had to throw really fast. We rode a lot of them at duck for people. We rode a lot of bad horses. So you learn to do a lot of things. And we always match. Me and a guy named Fletcher Nell was my kid friend growing up in high school rodeo. We'd reach in the dummy, throw it to the knot every time. Just how far you could throw it on the horns, rope the dummy, catch the right horn, come around, catch the left horn. Matched all the time, reaching. And, you know, it's funny, we rodeo, healers rope the dummy hours. Right. The headers wouldn't even rope a dummy with us. Me and Monty Joe, Pets could be out there doing tricks on the dummies, reaching the end of the rope. So we get the NFR, walking around, watching everybody rope, and they run up or take three or four swings, rope a dummy, make a real crisp loop. I step back there, my turn, one swing, about 25 foot back there. And they look around, whole deal, and I'm like, nobody can reach. Right. I mean... To the end of the rope. Yeah. No one was doing what you were doing with a rope in 1988, right, at the no. NFR. And no, there was guys that could reach one and two coils 
But then they left their healers hanging on a lot of situations. The horses ducked, yep. <clears throat> and what I brought to the table was being able to ride all those bad horses my father had and then be able to control my rope. And what I talk about, the speed trainer here, is learning to control the horse with your left hand, use your right hand to rope, and guide your horse. Yep. That was something I learned at a young age, riding all those outside horses. So roping the dummy, now, hey, you got to realize, I was like, I come home and told my dad, I said, hey, there is way more room for improvement on the heading world of the team roping world. Right. Heaters can catch the feet if the cows set them up. It's a different deal when the long scores. In the real fast short scores, it's a complicated deal. It's another deal of who can keep their horse working, not just mad bomb runs, right? which has turned into mad bomb runs right now. And you got to be able to reach, keep your horse working. Can you keep your horse working two or three years, four years down the road? I kept mine for eight, nine years at the NFR still working. Yes, 70, 80 runs on... Right, just was it, and then you got to figure all the dirt turf finales, all the things that he went through, and he still worked. Went a rodeo, yeah. And so that part of the equation really helped me in the heading deal. Hey, when I first come out there, I'm not going to name the names, but when I went to the jackpots, slide rope. One got away from me one time, and a guy, you know, I'm first year heading 94 out there to rodeo, draw them open jackpots. Man, and healer's like, don't be sliding rope. Don't be sliding rope. I'm like, if I slide it correctly, you don't know it. It's when it gets away, you find out. Yep. He's like, man, I got my butt chewed on a couple times from them pro healers about sliding rope. You slide rope to compensate for what your horse doesn't do. But when it gets away from you, it makes your heater look like an idiot. Yep. Because he lays it on the ground beside him because the cow don't move and the whole deal. But I understand the philosophy of what I was trying to do. So breaking into the heading world and going. Well, my father did not want me to be a header. And when I say my father did not want me to be a header. Right. This went on, it took about two years to convince him to let me, because he had all the horses. I had a sh- whole lured seven heel horses. Yeah. But I didn't have no head horses. You were set up to heal <clears throat> for a while. And he supported the healing yep. situation. Because it, it had made sense. You know, you'd, you'd proven that you could. Make, In his make mind, heading was easy, <laughs> that healing was hard. Right. Because he could head, and the healing was hard. Yeah. So. We come up, we had Virgil Minshew, Daryl Solly, Guy Mott Singer, myself, and Brad Culpepper. We end up with three headers, three healers, and one header. Daryl's horse, he quit going. We had three. So I had Guy, Virgil, Brad Culpepper, and myself, healers. The three, the two healers I competed with ever jackpot. Those were the guys that could rope and catch two feet. Right. Those three pretty much dominated the whole eastern coast, the whole thing. So I come to my dad and said, hey, Brad's either got a head or I got a head. Virgil used a little loop, and he was not a header. Yep. And when he listens to that, he'll agree to that. And I said, Dad, I need a head for a couple of weeks. <clears throat> he said, all right, pick you out a horse. 
I picked this Palomina out, pretty mane and tail. My father was kind of the Don Gates of the East Coast. Okay. He had a lot of roping horses. He had a lot of roping horses. Now, they weren't great horses, but they were horses you could rope on. He loved color because <coughs> color sold so much easier. Yep. I mean, a pretty horse, when a guy comes in, he'll buy a pretty one over one that's... Still holds true today. They're still buying them pretty ones. So, first weekend I go ahead, I got eight runs. I play seven times on this Palomino horse. We get home Sunday night, don't get up, Monday to lunch. We go eat lunch, come back, and there's two people in the rig. And I said, who are they here to try? Oh, you got a horse. Both of them called. They want to know if he was for sale. Yeah. He sold him before lunch on Monday. <laughs> so I take another one the next week. Four weeks in a row, whatever horse I hauled away, he sold Monday at lunch. Right. It got. He said, hey, this is working out good for me. I said, this ain't working good for me at all because the quality is going down every week. Started with the best head horse now on the fourth best one. and yeah, we're You know how that goes. Week. If yeah. we weren't buying no more, we were up. <laughs> so they brought in one that had a roach mane. His tail was rubbed out. Big old hind leg on him. I called him Nova. And he has that disease under his belly where the flies in the summertime, he gets the mange on him. Right. I mean, he is ugly. Yeah. But a fast sucker. Right. Big, stout, runoff. They bulldogged a little on him. He rattled the gate, he run off. I said, I'm taking this one. Ain't nobody going to buy him. I mean, it took me a couple months to get him. But if you could hold him in the box, he was good. Right. Made the national finals on him. I learned a valuable lesson my 96 year. So is that your first NFR? 94. 94 is your first NFR. 94 is my first NFR. Had my good horse got snake bit two weeks before I go to the national finals. Right. I had an ugly horse I called ugly. So if you know how ugly that was, he's ugly. If you watch NFR. And I had my jackpot horse that was good in the long scores, but wasn't real strong on the wall. Right. I tried to get by on those two first year with Brad. That did not turn out good national finals. Yep. So make the finals. We take a year off. get my horses back healthy. The one who got snake bit. 96, we make the national finals. I learned another valuable lesson. Guess what? A month before the national finals rodeo, I just long trot my horse, lead him around. I don't rope on him. This son of a gun is good in the building. Right. Like, not Viper good, but... Right there at that level, he could run, cow, pull, come up the wall, face. He was great in the short scores. Right. Guess what happens to your horse when you don't put a saddle on him for 30 days? Be a little bit fresh, I'm imagining. Not fresh. By the seventh round of the national finals, me and Brett Gould were in a place to win a world title. Right. My horse got sore to the back. You put a saddle on him, he would go all the way to the ground. Just... Muscles. Muscles sore. Right. I learned a valuable lesson. I babied my horse. Because it's not the same muscles you use when you trot as opposed to running to a Saddle sore. Yeah. Wait, whole deal. Because we rode the steers in. I rode him nine, ten days in a row right there. And big steers at the NFR, too. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. Is so We and, still won 50000 that year, and that was $6,000 rounds. We had a chance. But my last four rounds, my horse quit working. Right. And then 96, 96, I was rodeoing with Dennis Gates, and he broke his thumb. He didn't make the finals, and me and Brett ended up roping together. Well, during the year, Cleo Ryan Cooper had asked me to rope. Now, this is going to get off into a real funny story, but it brings a lot of reality to the world. Cleo Ryan Cooper asked me to rope. 
my hero. Yeah. I'm, I'm a healer at heart. Clay's my hero. There's so many people of our generation. Clay's the hero. Still is. I mean, it's. I mean, he he's he amazing. conducts himself. He handles himself. And uh, he uh, I said, shoot, yeah, I'd love to rope. We're at Brooksville, Florida. I'm sitting in the grandstands. Tom Ferguson. I don't know Tom Ferguson well at all. I know who he is, but I don't know Tom well. Tom walks up, sits down on the bleacher beside me. He says, I hear the champ asked you to rope. I said, yes, sir, he did. He goes, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to rope with him. I said, I just don't have a horse to compete with him. He goes, you don't have a horse to compete with him. I says, no, I don't have a horse like Charles Pogue, Scooter, Steve Purcellis, Butterbean. You know, there's places I can use my ability to overcome things, but I don't have the great head horse that they have. My father is a trader. Right. We don't give much for right. horses. We buy them, train them, sell them. He said, uh, I saw you pull in today. <laughs> I, before he even says, I knew where he's going. I said, what are you driving? I said, a brand new Dodge. And he said, how much that costs? I said, 33000 He said, how much that trailer cost? I said, a little more than that. He said, how much that horse cost you riding? I said, I got 1500 in him. He said, you see a problem with that equation. Right. And I left there. And I told that story to a couple friends, and they was willing to back me to buy a horse. Now, you want to talk about the stars lining up? Yep. One backed me to buy a Viper. One backed me to buy a Bob. Changed my life. Do you know how many horses I have bought since that day? I'm sure it's a high amount. And, and he ain't got nothing close to those two horses. Right. So when you talk about God works in the mysterious ways of the things, but I would have never went in debt had I never had that conversation with Tom Ferguson. Right. He changed my whole outlook. And I've had that conversation with many a guys rodeoing. You know, what pays for that truck and trailer? You're gonna if you're gonna do this sport, you gotta gamble on a horse. Make sure it's the right horse. But you gotta buy something that you can use to pay for that. People show up all the time at the rope and hundred thousand dollar rigs now. Yeah. Hundred and eighty thousand dollar trailers. <laughs> you know, trucks seventy, eighty thousand. It's ridiculous, yes. They're they're expensive. In a ten, twelve thousand dollar horse. Right. But I love heading because I'm a math guy. Right. We visit a little bit out there and how I approached heading, I watched. Dole Gullerman was great at getting it on the horns at the national finals. But he roped a lot of necks, a lot of half heads. Yep. He was one of the fastest at getting it on the horns. But his healers really struggled behind him on those big fresh steers with the neck shots. Yep. You know, Jake was fascinating. His big arm wing wingspan. You ever played basketball or been around Jake much? I've been around him quite a bit. I've never played. I've heard the horror stories of people playing basketball against him in ping pong. He's I'm he, not a basketball player. He's but it's lanky. Just, he's lengthy. Yeah. What he could do running close and snapping it on and getting big horn cow on a short line. 
I studied what he did. Charles Pogue was one of the best at score. Matt Tyler always had a great horse. Yep. And I tried to take what each one of those guys did, kind of like a kung fu fighter, and manipulate each one of those styles and use them in different situations. Right. Like to this day, when we go somewhere, I'll have my wife film the open ropings. Yep. Because I love to go back and watch what guys are doing, what they're doing here. They hadn't, and believe it or not, I have more clients for healers than I have headers because healing is such more of a struggle to get better. Right. Heading, you can fix guys and get them where they don't have to come back every 30 days. Healing, you can create so many bad habits over and over and over. It's such a harder challenge to get better. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me all the time, why don't you want to go? Why don't you want to go enter? The month of February, I have five days that I don't have clients at my house. Right. I charge $1,500 a day. $2,500 a day plus expenses to go to people's houses. And I'm fortunate enough to stay booked. And I enjoy what I do. I thoroughly enjoy teaching. Plus, my kids get to rope with me, so I'm able to teach them something in life. And there's not a day goes by that we don't learn something or I get to set a life lesson on them. Sure. So a lot of it about responsibility, being ready when the client's here. You have everything ready. You know, and there's a lot of little life lessons I want to raise to people that are respectful, on time, and tend to business. Right. And rather than being winning for, known for changing the sport of team roping in the head, I would love them to be known for who I raise. Yeah. And what, you know, that's kind of my goal of raising my kids to be able to do stuff. And I'm very fortunate they have got into what I can teach them. Right. That's your gold buckle now is is through your teaching, through your raising your kids. And that's that's kind of your, your next step. And and I, I think that's what's so fun to see it is like we were talking about it earlier. You, you know, I, I think there's in every sport when someone competes at a real high level, because to me, it's a it, the mindset going into a rodeo season right in the middle of it with with you and Rich. You, you guys want to win world titles. And there's very few ropers now that at the beginning of the year, they're trying to win a world title. In fact, I think there's probably four, four headers, maybe four or five. I, I think, I think there's other guys that they, they want to win world titles, but there's four or five guys that expect it. And I think that's where, I mean, obviously was that, that was kind of after a few world titles that had to have been the expectations going into it is this real high level of competing and, I mean, it's even like you're talking about your last NFR is just it felt like a grind and you still are in the last world title. And that was when it was like, OK, you could you could start feeling the shift where you wanted to maybe be home more and, and around around your family more. Me and my wife are buddies. She did a lot of work behind the scenes and. uh so it's a special relationship to have somebody that you enjoy being around. And a lot of people don't, they get a go rodeo to get away from their wife so they don't get their butt chewed on the whole thing. Yeah. And, but I enjoyed being around my wife and kids. And so it made rodeo and being gone 
I just didn't like it. Like we was talking about earlier, you didn't like being on the road, rodeoing. Yep. It's a grind. You're nonstop going all the time and you don't control your deal. And do it's well to me, I don't know if you feel this. It's like you're not where you're supposed to be. And I get those feelings from time to time and I'm not supposed to be doing something. And if I get that all the time, then I really got to, I really try to evaluate myself. And I think that's, that's kind of what I hear is maybe when your, your wife or your newborn child isn't there and you're, you're all of a sudden in the rig by yourself or whatever it is. And you're not that camaraderie in that family environment. You miss that and you start feeling like, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing somewhere else and I need to be somewhere else. It's got to go. You got to enjoy it. And I, one person told me, he said, if you enjoy what you do, it's not work. Right. If you don't enjoy it, it's miserable. So getting to rope every day, but like some of the pros ask, why don't you go? Like, I don't wake. I, I was the best there was right. for a long time. I'm not the best there were. My body don't take ribs go out as far as practicing roping. I rope a lot. Especially when I have healers over and turn cows or my kids are gone to compete. But a lot of times I get away with not roping. I get to work to shoot and watch them right? and heckle them. But I I don't like losing. That's what made me practice and figure out what I could do. It's not fun for me to go enter a jackpot. And not feel like you're going to dominate or not be real competitive. I used to enter knowing that unless I made a mistake, I was going to win something. Right. And now I don't know what's going to happen. I got another year or two and I either have to find somebody to haul my son that can compete or I've got to haul him a little. Right. I done been picking on a few of the pros of what it was going to cost me to <laughs> season him, right. but I can make money and pay to send him on the road, or am I going to have to go? He's wanting me to enter with him. Right. I'm like, buddy, I think I can find you a better header than me. Cause How cool would that be, though? Oh, my goodness, but failure. Yeah, but this is where I, I this is where I, we were talking about this. I, you know, I rep the speed trainer, trainer, and I and I struggled terribly, and it was a, I would say it was a terrible situation for someone to want to experience. But I, I really don't, I don't. It exposed holes. Well, no, I will say this: within the first fifteen minutes of me being here, we had exposed my deepest fears as a header and my biggest <laughs> holes in my heading. And and being just truthful, like I know where I'm really weak. It's picking my rope up as the gates open for my horse moves and and getting that swing off and that short four second to long three second run is not something i'm comfortable with and and i and i knew that but you pointed it out instantly you watched me with the dummy what five times and you could already tell me that and i knew i knew that but i didn't i knew why i did what i i did because i'd always had a tight swing growing up and i missed the right horn all the time and i was really i didn't like losing and i did not like missing the right horn and to win at most levels that's what it took and, and i've kind of figured out how to make it all work but i have not gotten to that elite level of heading and this is what obviously holds it back a little bit and and so that's you know the fact that you could point it out quickly but i also look at it like well i know that and that's something i'll work on when i want to get to that spot of heading that will be my 
but I have to get that experience of losing or, you know, if you, and I, I go to it, same thing with your son. If you can teach him how to, how to win or lose or how that kind of flows together, it, you can build a lot by losing and kind of that experience. So. It makes you get better. No question about it. It's what makes you drive. It's what makes you better losing. And I tell people all the time, that's what separates the winners and losers. Who sleep, Who wakes up in the middle of the morning, get up, practice, ride your horse, and do the things you need to to get better. Right. And, and I think for me, my biggest issue that I have is someone will show me something and I can figure it out. And then I get bored and I don't master it. Or I, I feel like... And then I watch guys that maybe don't have as much natural talent and things like that, and they excel way further than I ever have. And a lot of that's because when you do lose and those guys have that, they focus with a different type of, it's just a different level of tenacity and they put it behind, you know, and just like you're saying, they hate losing. And I think that's like, you say that as well. The two things we picked apart today on the speed trainer, you fix them, you're able to be three, and you're able to have more range with your rope. Right. So your two weaknesses that keeps you from being. Yeah. But understanding how you fix that to eliminate it. When I looked at heading, I wanted to be able to do anything possible with my rope. If I wanted to reach to the end of the rope and catch the right horn, make it come around and catch the left horn. Now, I've never tied two ropes together and done what Drigger's done, sit on your butt, throw two ropes. My shoulder, it's a long... he has shoulder problems now, and I'm not going to say that it's from sitting on his butt throwing two damn ropes, but it's not going to help it when you're forcing it that much in hours of the whole thing. But anything that I realistically could do with a rope, I want to be able to do it. Right. So I want to be able to throw as fast as we can. And that's what Haley, I work on her all the time. I want her to be able to throw the rope as fast as possible. I don't care if you catch or miss. I want you to swing, throw. Then we'll figure out what we got to do to back off and be in a comfort zone and still be fast. Right. So when did this mindset of, because what's really unique, uh, before I get into this, when you tried those two head horses, uh, Bob and Viper, right? Did funny, you, funny story. Did you know, was it different when Viper, you Viper, yes. Instantly. I had never rode one like him. I, How many steers? Never even before I run a cow. I'm going to tell you the story you, on Viper. Okay. My dad had sent me on an errand. <laughs> and I had had a man tell me that I need to try this horse. Wow. John Hudson had told me I need to try this horse. He was a good one. Right. And I'd heard another guy had tried him, and the people told him that 15000 won't buy him. It's going to cost more than 15. And I had a man tell me that he would buy a horse for me. And uh, and I had told him about Bob was a horse that I was supposed to buy for 20000 Right. But I hadn't got there yet. Well, I was going to try this horse. Bob's the one I wanted. I rode him when I rode with Dennis Gates. Great long score jackpot horse. What he did was phenomenal. So I called this man back when I had the bag phones, big bag phones. I called him on the way down. Lined up, try the horse. When they unloaded him out of the trailer, I almost didn't get on him. He was so fat, there was no way he could run. Right. I had done went two hours out of my way. I'm like, man, might as well get on him, ride him. If like, been, he was fat. Like, yeah, just didn't look like. No, he's a pig. Yeah, I mean, he, did, he didn't look like a. a he was thick, but he's fat. Right. I get on him. They got a little old snaffle bit on him. 
I get on him. Now you got to realize, I grew up riding outside horses. I never rode one that was what I call broke two legs, hands, at a run. Sure, riding around a walk and a trot, you can make them do it. When they run, when the horses I had always rode, when you run them, you had no mouth. They, they had no feel. No feel. Yeah. I got on Viper, warm him up, riding outside horse. You always breeze them out before you run one of them, get the buck out of them, you know, the whole deal trying to horse. When I breeze him out, we're running wide open, three quarters away of the arena. I pick him up, and I'm talking just, I could shift right, shift left, pull him down. He just slowed down and actually stopped. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have never felt that before in my life. I turned him around and run back the other way of the arena. And while we're running, I just kind of pick up, move over to the right, move over to the left, slow up. I knew right then I was buying that horse some way form. I'd never felt that. Right. Just low running wide open and right. have control. What? How cool could that be? Rope a cow and do whatever you want with them. Just not be. That's crazy to think that you're you're heading at this point, and you you hadn't felt that. Never. Wow. Okay. We're talking light bit, loose curb chain. Just was light. He was so broke. Now, I ride over there, and I asked him. I said, "Before I ever run a cow, I want to know what he's going to cost." And they said, "Go run a few, and then we'll talk." I hate hearing those words the worst because one. he looks good and then the price goes up. Don't ever do that. It's like, <laughs> don't he, ever uh, do that. You can't, it's bad. It always ask that question. That's and, a great you know, question. You know, rope don't what is it going to cost to buy? They said 20000 I said, all right. I run the first cow. First cow goes right, right over to the right fence. He runs over rope. Second cow, he gets a little wound up in the box. I mean, he's like on the muscle backed in there. Runs out there, steer stops. He just stops right beside him. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Third one runs. He goes and gets him. Rope run. I walk back over and talk to him about him. I ask him, can I take him home? Get him vet check. Whole deal. Uh, they let me take him home. Vet checks him and says, he's soft soul. Okay. He didn't want me to buy him. I'm like, soft soul. Feel. I always vet check my horses. Sure. I don't expect them to pass the vet check. I want to know eyes, breathing, the stuff that we do. I don't care if I get 5000 for them. I vet check them so I know what's wrong with them in the future. Yeah, I know what you could potentially help. 300 bucks or, yeah. if he don't have it then. So, by Viper, I ride him at the National Finals Rodeo on the 10th round of 96 when my other horse come up lane. He jumped the barrier. Okay. First round on Viper jumps the barrier. Jumps the, barrier. The, the he NFL. jumped the barrier at Odessa. <laughs> Me and Clay placed in both rounds. Okay. He jumped the barrier at Denver. We come back high call. Believe it or not, whole other story. Clay O'Brien Cooper missed one high call back. First time ever, I'm sure. We hadn't missed one in a practice pin. Right. He hadn't missed one by two feet in a practice pin. I mean, it was like unreal. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was shocked. I was more walking out of the arena. He's like, sorry. I'm like, who was that? I mean, like, he, he I, don't I, miss. I, I had to have done something wrong. <laughs> yeah, like, he don't miss. And Houston, Viper, will not step on the chalk line. 
Oh, yeah, because they got the chalk out there. I you either rope Houston. before the chalk line or you take a swing because you, when you're warming him up, he could take his feet and stick them across like this. He would not mess up the chalk line. Okay. Uh, Liberty, Texas has got holes in the roof. Sun shines through. Spots in the yep. arena. There's one in the heading box. <laughs> okay. I try to ride him in there because I warm up. You always get in the rain and warm up and say, oh, no. Can't can't get him in the box? No. He, when he leaves the box, he goes inside around the spot. Right. It's something that you had to squirt. And we still placing around with him going around the cow yeah. in the box. But he was uh, untie himself, but he let his friends out. If he untied himself, he'd go over and untie another horse, open a gate. He was a Houdini. He was uh, what you call friendly love to be petted on the whole deal just a ton of personality now bob on the other hand i don't know if you got time for that story we got plenty of time bob on the other hand i called bob i wrote him he brings him over for me to try bob was a bronc i got a brand new coat saddle in <laughs> i was staying at In Oakdale, California, I had a walker. It had a pipe rail around it. I put Bob on the walker with my new saddle. Guess what? Bob goes to bucking. Bob skins himself up, skins my saddle up, tears the pipe rail up, gets on the other side of the pipe rail. I haven't even run a steer on him yet. Just He's got his legs all skinned up. I call Bob. Tell Is him, this trying him? This, this is trying. This is trying. Yep. Hang on the house trying. Okay. I didn't run a steer on him. I rode him at the rodeo one time at uh, one of the California rodeos. And I, I called Bob. I said, told him what happened. He says, he limping? He says, no, I got all the hair off of him, but he ain't limping. He's riding. So I'll give him a couple of days, paint him up, run a steer on him. He bucks, first one. But man, when you drop the reins, he would run to the cow. You like dropping a hammer, just a whole different feel. Or what did it? Was it different on him when, when you left? He hurt or, my back. Like he like left you, the back of the box, and fired. Like now an unreal feeling. Unreal. Now yeah. Bob told me this is when I learned something about chiropractor. Bob told me he says when he quits running, you got to get his hip put back in. He goes out right over his hip. Okay. He says it'll be night and day different. When he's running, when he ain't running. Maybe when he wants to buck sometimes, too. No, he bucked every morning. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Remind me when we're done, tell you a funny story about Rich riding. <laughs> we can get that one on the podcast, too. We, uh... I get him. Bob lets me take him. I'm taking him back to Florida. I take him to the vet. We're staying at Bandier, Texas. I take him to the vet. Get him vet check. I've hauled him from California down i had a man that was going to pay for him uh promised me that he'd back me on buying a horse like viper deal right uh i take and get him vet check drop him off come back and pick him up this vet has a three page list he's got a cracked coffin bone he's got a fused right hock broke bone right. he's got chips in his front feet Signs of navicular. He's got splints on both ankles. I said, well, on a grade of one to five, how lame is he? He said, that's the problem. He's not. 
I can't make him limp. I have x-rayed him. There's no way this horse should be able to walk. Must less be sound. Viper's got soft soles, and that's it. And uh, this horse is... Has three pages. He says, son, you cannot buy this horse. Right. I said, I've hauled this horse from California to Texas, and you're telling me I can't buy him because the x-rays look bad? He said, I went and re-x-rayed him because I told him they got the wrong horse. There's no way that's that horse. Right. He goes, he has a high tolerance to pain. <laughs> It's the only thing I can say. He said, I went back out after we x-rayed him and looked at him come back. We re-x-rayed him again to make sure it was the same horse. And I took the x-rays and put them in. There's no way that horse should be walking. Wow. I said, sir, I can't call a man and tell him I'm not going to buy his horse because he's not lame, but he x-rays bad. I would rather have one that has a high tolerance to pain and tough with all these problems. And he's still going. I said, how old are the injuries? He said, all of his injuries are two or three years old. I said, so he's been competing, and I've been watching him go every day for a couple years, right. and he still works. First rodeo I take him to. We go to a short score, wide box. Right. My high-dollar horse hops to the inside and goes on the right side of the cap. Yep. I was so embarrassed. But it's a life lesson. You put him in situations. He runs. When he fires, it was running wide open to the cow. Every morning at the BFI, you know what time my morning started? My alarm went off at 3.30. We walked out of the motel at 4. I fed him, go get something to eat, and we started warming him up at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, BFI's grand injuries at eight. is 8. And he was humping. Almost ever grand entry. Yep. But when he was warmed up, he worked his butt off. How many BFIs? Three and should have won six. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's On amazing. Him. Now, we win our first world title, 97. 98, Rich qualifies for circuit finals. I'm from Florida, so we didn't rope. He, uh, I said he wants to rope head at the circuit finals he don't want to heal for nobody he wants to head because rich big on his head in the building rich is rich is a head i don't like healing well. for rich because he's got that steer roping mentality he ropes and drops yeah and he will handle them bad so rich knows bob is humping rich takes rob circuit finals waco ties him to the trailer saddles him up it's winter time in Texas too, right? It's so, a cool, but it, uh, the weather's different. He decides he wants to rewrap the saddle horn while Bob is tied to the trailer. Right. He climbs up on Bob. <laughs> Bob goes to bucking while he's tied to the trailer. Rich said he's holding on the horn, going whoa, Bob, whoa, because I mean it's on concrete asphalt. We're we got sparks flying. Bob's bucking to the tie to the trailer. And Rich said, all I can see on my gravestone, 1997 world champion healer killed while horse is tied to trailer. You're right. <laughs> did he ride him? He rode him. He did. That's he good did. news. He did. He I, got off of him, padded him, and I said, I told you he was humpy. He said, I didn't think he'd be humpy tied to the trailer. So when me and Rich first started roping together, this is a pretty good story. Go to his house. The story's been told a lot about how we got together, but our first day in the practice pen, 
we run a pin of steers. Every one of his steers are 650, 750, big horns. Right. He can rope blindfolded. He don't miss one. We get done. I walk over and I said, hey, this ain't no good to me. He goes, what do you mean? I said, these steers are not a challenge. He goes, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go get some muleys, about 20 head of muleys. We're practicing for the NFR. Uh, let's make a challenge. Right. The one thing that me and Rich survived our difference of opinions through our years of winning, but we won, helped a lot. But his willingness in the four, first 45 days to do whatever I throwed out. Right. Because you kind of would get, you like a couple things. You like to make practice hard, right? You, you'd like a challenge all the time. You know, I like, want to make it press. harder than I can ever put myself into competing. Right. So then that way, when you go to competition, you feel like it's a day off, right? Is that kind of... That is my mentality is I set up scenarios at home to make it as hard as possible. Right. So we get these 20 head of fresh muleys. He goes and buys them. We set up this little old plastic fence out there. We run the 20 head. I don't think we make two clean runs. Right. He ain't happy. 10% catch ratio's not good. Rich ain't happy. Like, he is used to roping all day long and not missing one. Yeah. He ain't happy. Right. He said, now, I don't see how this is going to help us. Right. I said, it's harder than we're going to compete. He said, it ain't even real. They're going everywhere. Right. I'm like, you got to swing your rope, come around there and heal them. I said, it, we need to do it. Hey, third run. You go to making some runs on them. Yeah. Third to 10, you make some real runs. Hey, we show up to the finals in 97. He goes after about the fourth round. He goes, it's like slow motion back here. They're just hopping. I'm so used to them little things going so fast. He said, I'll give you this. This is a lot easier, like backing down what we're doing versus what we were doing. Sure. Which, especially at that building, um, for the healers, I, I don't know from experience, but what you what you hear is things just happen so fast, and you're almost behind the header too, and it's hard to get ahead of the run. That's where like those real special heel horses have been. They've won so much in that building because they had enough run to get it up there and and kind of slow your position down and, and open steers up to heel. So I'm sure that had a big big thing to do with it. Like used to feeling behind or you know feeling like things were happening fast you know how i got rich to quit hazing cows you know like t woman whooped it in him right hey leave the box Cleo brian cooper threatened to put duct tape over his mouth that's when i'm throwing when the barrel rope pulls you can't be hollering at the cows you can't step them right no you can't be hollering if you're going to haze them you got to haze them before the barrel rope pulls and let me see where they're going right but just stay out of my way let me read where the cow's going right rich about day three day four in the practice pen Hazing, left lead, hazing, left lead. I said, hop on, Viper. Said, what do you want me to do? I said, I want, just, I want you to run a cow. He lets him out. I said, hit the pin, go get him. He runs out there, and he gets about there, and I haze this cow. And Viper knocks his tracks out. Right. Going to the left. Rich's head comes down, and he reads the breast collar. He's, he's got- As he's popping up, I understand now I won't haze no more. Right. And I'm like, you can't be hazing when I'm trying to throw. He all but fell off. Right. And it was like, we never had that discussion no more. But Clay O'Brien Cooper was the hardest healer I ever had to get to Kate Wood hazing. It's just bred in him. He leaves the box. Hey, 
I'm like, I'm right here. I'm like, state, you ride your position, you heal the cow. I don't care where he goes right. I've got range to the right. I've got to change everything, and my horse is going to go to ducking. If he's got to go in the left lead, then he's got to duck harder to get ahead of the cows. Yeah, and go back up the wall, and it's just a bad scenario. But Viper and Bob both had enough cow and run that I could do my deal, and they were so controlled. Now, I'm not saying when I was on my other horses, when I was on certain horses that ducked and would break wide, I'm like, all right, we need to have a little haze on this cow. Different horses create different situations. Right. But you got to set the steer up for what the horse does the best. So one thing that I'm so, I find it so unique is like in sports, you see certain things that they do and they compete and do it this way. And then someone changes how it's done, which you obviously did with heading. But what's so hard about it is someone might have an idea, but no one else does it. They're like, well, if I, if I have this idea and no one else is doing it, it's obviously they're not doing it for a reason. In heading, the way you went about it, was there ever that like, I, why do I, why are these guys roping this way? And should I just be doing it this way? Or did you just think from the word go, I'm going to do it this way. Cause I, I can, and I've been doing it at home or where, where did that kind of come from? Cause obviously, I mean, everyone is walking a certain path and you're completely going a different direction with how you're heading. I mean, if you, it took about what, eight years to get to the finals heading. For me? Yeah. No, it was 88 and then 94 we made it. 94. Okay. So that was kind of the time frame from when you decided, hey, the, the basically the thought process started in 88 to 94 and it takes a while to get there, but you're, you're going a completely different route with roping and it obviously changed the whole, how we go about it now. But what about that? Was that ever in your mind? Like they're, they're not doing it for a reason or? Pause for a second. Okay, so we're talking about that, you know, changing the sport and that mindset of doing just going against the grain, um, essentially, is what you did. And I, I'm just curious, did you realize you were doing that, or did you just like look at it and see why are they not trying this? Coleman, when we visited, you know, he was kind of like my adopted child for a while, trying to get him changed on a few things. Him and Jake Long had a lot of ability, but their horsemanship was their weakness. And Coleman's like, your mind doesn't think like normal people do. And what I was visiting with you earlier about, I've had some successful businessmen, but the way that I looked at team roping was I love watching football when I was young. Right. And I love when they drawed lines and broke down the opponent. I love that as well. Yeah. What the opponent did, what you had to calculate to do it. And I tried to use that philosophy when I was young. I'd have my mom film me. I'd go in and watch the video. Right. Back when it was great big old cameras. We'd buy one, tie my rope tie my calf, watch it. But I always tried to process a run. When you leave the box and account for every move made, why does your hand do this to swing your rope and to throw the rope and eliminate what steps could be eliminated in the run? Just because somebody else did it, I'm not one to say that's why you do it. 
I want to break down why. That's a big curious why. And it's one of the things I try to instill in my kids. I'm going to give them my thoughts, but I want them to challenge themselves on their beliefs on why they do stuff. Right. And just because it's worked for people, well, you look at how the sport of quarterback of the NFL has changed. Right. Heading, I still see improvement in the head. There is so many guys with so much ability with their rope. Right. Caleb, Dustin, come rope, watch the video, break it down. And my question to them is, why do they do this when it's a wasted move? Explain how it's beneficial in that run. You know, and the whole thing of doing it, they're swinging, horses, legs, wrong places. And that's what's fun about it is when people come here, the higher number of ropers, Charlie Crawford, it's fun to break down and get in detail. We haven't watched the video of your roping. It's right. a whole nother level when you lay that frame by frame of what you're doing, what I'm doing, taking throw Dustin in there, throw Driggers in there, the different styles, what works. But every run is a math equation based off the barrier, the length of the score, the size of the horns, and believe it or not, the weather comes into a lot of play on how you approach a run. Right. When you say that, what do you mean by the weather? When it's cold, your ropes do not feel the same as when their weather's good. And when the weather's really hot, it takes away a little of what you can do with your rope. Okay. I'm very precise about the rope feeling exact, you know, the whole thing. Different rope in stores, different rope outdoors. you got to have a little more weight outdoors. Right. I like a light, fast rope because but you can't use it outdoors i mean it's like a golf club you get very precise with it kurt's done a really good job of building my ropes i've been with the same guy for 18 years he's went through three different companies and i stay with him right because he has built he knows what i want and when i was in the market of switching companies guys would send me three or four ropes other people would send me three or four ropes Kurt sent me boxes for weeks till he found one that I liked. Right. He went out at the very beginning, and since then, I've stayed with him forever. And top hand, he does a great job. The heel ropes that Gabe uses, he built for me. The 8X feel, I'm amazed at how good they feel, but they're smaller. I broke my shoulder in 96. I guess that's a story we could tell next on that. I was never supposed to rope again. Really? Well, how did that happen? Uh, 96. So you've made two NFRs. In, at what time in 96? January. January. Okay. Uh, so just coming off your, your second We're talking about head and we got all that done. Yes. I was roping with Tom Moore. He had a friend that had a gray head horse, kind of an outlaw horse a little bit. Would kind of, And I was roping with Dennis Gates. Went to Phoenix, was 3-7 with Dennis in 97. 3-7, Right. Uh, was high call back at Denver. 
my little outlaw horse, the yep. same year, 96. Remember 96 and then far I didn't ride my good horse at the finals? Right. My other one was still sore. Uh, I babied him. Didn't ride him for about a week. Let him down there to the arena, stuck a saddle on him. Third steer I run, he bucked me off. Broke my shoulder. Shattered it. Right here. Big old knot. I stood up. I mean, it sounded like I had sand in my teeth. It just grated. Right. Miss Jan Boltinghouse. I was staying with Popeye and Jan. They took me to the doctor that night. Told me it was broke. Uh, Miss Jan, that night, made a bunch of phone calls. Miss Jan's a very wealthy lady. Her dad was one of the ones that discovered, grand, her dad was one of the discovered Yates Oil in West Texas. Okay. She went on a mission to find me somebody that would fix my arm. Right. So are we talking uh, in the rotator cuff or the AC joint is what it's... Destroyed the shoulder. Right. The okay. whole thing was like you took a hammer to a piece of glass to the bone and, and shattered it. Dropped the AC joint and everything's lowered. And yeah, it's a big injury. Yep. Uh, we, uh, I go to the doctor and... Uh, they schedule a surgery the next day, come in. We go back, go under the knife, come up. He comes to, and he tells me, he taped my arm back together. He said, you'd like you took a piece of glass and took a hammer to it. It just shattered. Right. So he said, I couldn't put pins together. He said, I took a ligament from a different spot and moved it over. Okay. Don't know the technicalities of it. I um, this is above but my he head. said it's not going to look right if somebody ever does an MRI on you and the whole deal. He said, but it should work as good as it. You should be able to do everything you could with it. I go seriously. He goes yes. Uh, he was the head surgeon for the San Diego Chargers for ten years and moved to Fredericksburg and started his own office. Okay. And had only been there not a short time. So he sends me home. He tells me he says you can do anything with it. Don't strain it but it should be mobile well my biggest fear about injuries is scar tissue so i went through the three days of sweats and sick and fevers and all that after the surgery when i come to i went and bought me pvc pipe stuck two pvc pipes in my pocket put a belt around it put a t-cross up top and i walked around all day picking it up moving it around resistance strength day three Right. Moving around. Moving around. I went and bought those little balls at the bouncing balls and would just try to flick it and then try to catch it. Right. Two weeks I walked back to the doctor's office and after I had surgery, I walked in, he walked in, he says, Pick your arm up. After totally rebuilding my shoulder, I picked my arm straight up over my head. Hey, this doctor turned white as snow. Right. He jumped up and looked, picks up his paper, looks back and made sure he had the right client. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Right. What have you been doing? And I told him what I'd been doing. He said, that's genius. That's, that's great. I said, I haven't done anything to lift up. All I've done is resistance strength all the way back the whole thing. Right. So broke my shoulder in January. In March, I flanked and tied a calf in Pocatello. I was back, we competed at Pocatello, was back roping, but 
I spent hours just sitting in the floor. And I mean, I got a big bucket of those balls and would throw it against the wall, close my eyes, try to catch. I was trying to reprogram my hand to do what my arm does. Right. But uh, all the thanks goes out to Miss Jan for what she did, finding that guy, because the first doctor pretty much told me I was done. Right. I would never rope again. It was That shoulder was destroyed. Wow. That's amazing to think of. And, and just the, the mindset of like everything that you do could just be done at any moment. Mm-hmm. Do, does that stay with you? That is it like a different perspective of like, okay, I, my career could be finished at any time. Did that ever help? Or did you, I mean, I don't know that I had that mentality. I always felt blessed to be able to do what I was able to do and to help the help that I had throughout my life of my mom hauling me everywhere, my dad giving me the opportunities and a lot of the things that he instilled upon me. When I was young, uh, my father, unlike most people, he gave me freedom, but with a chain. So I'm 10 years old. My father tells me, he says, son, I'm going to tell you right now, you're free to drink, dip, snuff, smoke marijuana, you do cocaine, you can do anything you want. Stipulation is the first time you do it, you do it with me. I will go buy it and we will both do it. And if you decide you want to do it, you have my blessing to do it from that point on. The stipulation is you do it with me. You want to drink a beer? Go buy some, we'll drink it at the house. Right. You want to smoke dope? I've never done it. Buy it. We'll both do it. And if you want to do it, we'll do it. He says, now, if you do it without me, I will whip your ass like you have never seen. If you get addicted to something, I will chain you up to the tree like a dog. It won't be no rehab. You will chain up and you will live chained up. Not an option. If you want to do it, you respect my wishes, I will grant you your wish. To this day, I've never dipped snuff. I've never drank a beer. I've never done no narcotics in my life besides what's prescribed to me when you got surgeries, and I did not like them. Right. Codeine Tylenol makes me hallucinate. I see things coming out of the wall. It's weird when I got that surgery, and I finally got them my vet up there in Amarillo to give me stuff that don't... I, very uh apparently i'm not very tough on that kind of stuff it messes with my mind right but uh raising what he did in his training he told them all he was going to raise a world champion so when i won my first world title i come home and took his 1964 world champion saddle bronc riding saddle off belco off putting my 97 gold buckle on his belt and i said that one's yours i'll win me another one Right. And I uh, did not know it was going to be seven more, but it was, that was, I, he never told me I did right heading. He always wanted me to go back to healing. Right. I won five world titles. He says, when are you going to quit this and go back to healing? You're a, really, you're a better healer. Get, get really making some money with yes, that. Yes. It was just, it, he, I was his healer, not his header. I mean, it was just, he raised a healer. So, one thing about your childhood, is there moments where, whether it's, a positive talk or that outlook like I know you kind of say you're a gambler and I feel like you're a very 
like a, I would call it gamey, like a gamer type of mentality is what I would call it. But was that something as you were growing up, it, it just seemed like when you were doing wrong, it was not enforced, but you were pushed down that path of how to win, that you could win and you could do those things? My father instilled preparation. 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 Okay. I am working hard on my son on preparation. Right. It ain't working real well. <laughs> my daughter is prepared. I She was with me all the time. Right. My son, I told him when he goes to a roping, I don't care if he wins or loses. But be prepared. Be ready when they call your name. Get a good night's sleep. You know, my father, when we were young, if it was slack was at 8 o'clock in the morning, he says, you've got to be more rested, more prepared to give yourself the best chance to win. Right. He was a cowboy. He was a rodeo. And he said, them guys that stay out all night long, it's going to catch up to them as the year goes on. They'll make a mistake. You've got to give yourself the best opportunity when you draw the cow. You can't be out at 3 o'clock in the morning and expect to rope at 8 a.m. and be prepared and feeling good. Right. And my son, I want him to have two ropes, rope bag with rubber, spare glove, a rope hanging on the fence in case one goes down, and be at least on that side of the box five runs. On his horse, 20 before his run goes. Right. And we had a very, how would I say, moment the other day. He is very laid back. He hasn't been turned out yet. He has been late getting over there. And I was visiting with somebody, and this preparation really didn't kick in to become a header. When I was a healer, uh, I was very laid back, whole deal. They always used to kid. They'd start the grand entry, and I wouldn't be in dress code, but I'd make it to the end of the grand entry to be in. Right. And I told him the other day, I said, I don't even want to admit to this, but I, it was hard for me when I went to going back through my mind, remembering how I was as a healer. Yeah. Healer don't take near as much preparation. There's not as much stress. not as much. I mean, there, it really, I was like, oh my, that's not good. I'm like, son, you got to work on being prepared more. But it has been a blessing and a nightmare because he never wants to have a day off. He wants to rope every day. And if he's not roping steers, he's roping goats or the quick fire or roping something. Right. My daughter has just gotten the bug where she walks around butterflying all the time. Right. And getting ability with her rope. But in the last three weeks, she's improved a lot. But. Every day we get to rope and try to teach my kids something and teach a client something. Right. Just like you today, I think it was an eye-opener of the little things the speed trainer exposed that you could fix. Really fast. It exposed it within my first 10 loops, and especially with you watching it as well. I mean, that was a, a big change because I, I knew what it was and why I did it, but we could also show why it was not it cost me. Yeah. And so, yeah. That, that's really interesting. Especially, I, I have this theory. Um, I just come up with it the other day. Um, you're better horseman at an open jackpot. The guys that show up the earliest and are on the earliest typically 
are high level horsemen. I, I don't know about everyone else and it could be different from day to day because things happen as you go there. But one thing I do notice is when I go to those ropings and you know, we're I, either I'm roping at them or we're videoing. So we're usually set up, but those guys that are great horsemen are usually on their horses early. They're ready. They're ready hours before sometimes. And it's, uh, and I think that, you know, when you talk about your rope and everything preparation, it's, it, it I hear this when you say, have two ropes ready and, and, and things like that. Well, you say you won two world titles that come down to one or two steers. Mm-hmm. So there you go. If one or two things happen the wrong way, you go from eight time world champion to six. And, and so you need every chance you can get to get those titles and you need And it's the same thing winning at, it doesn't matter what level, uh, or competing that day. If you have a heel rope and the kid through the catch pin lets it go, and you don't have another heel rope and you got to borrow one or whatever it is and it's not something you're used to and you miss because that you have just cost yourself money and if you're roping at a real high level it might have been some guy was watching you that day that was looking for a new healer you might have been on that list and then you start roping bad and that might have missed an opportunity for you and it's just you never know when those days are we're going to get that call or you're going to you know get to that next step and i think that's where preparation when i hear preparation that's what it means to me is like the chances you get like to buy those head horses or that conversation about the truck that a lot of it might be from preparation or and just being in certain situations so if you're constantly trying that good things happen is is how i look at preparation anyways so i want to go back to this because i i think roping with your son this is a really unique thing because i got to experience it my dad uh cracked me out a little bit well my in fact i filled my permit with my dad roping and you know the one thing i think about is obviously you learn how to win and you learn how to do certain things but the one thing i feel like you would and i would i don't know i'm curious to see what you'd say but you know rodeoing with your son it's it's weird because you're going to have a different relationship you know you're going to want to you're going to want to you're just closer to him than you would be another partner and there's going to be a big learning curve but there's so many ways that i feel like you can explain things on how to win because it's just like you say uh, what the last world title you won, you were unable to pick up a cup of water. Really, you were you really had no, to. That was the next year. That uh, was the next year. Yeah, the next for last year, me and Rich roped together. Okay. We did not win a world title. Okay. We uh, <clears throat> I was injured. That okay. was a year after that's when we split. We okay. made the finals nine years. Okay. So you've got to be able to figure out how to grind it out and and win through injuries or went through just being savvy and i think that's where you watch guys like i mean i i really look up to a charlie crawford and eric rogers and guys like that because they they do things that are just so intelligent in situations that put them that give them wins and you see like well i mean dustin Eggesqueeze is a perfect example if he goes early in a slack and connects in a 50 team slack you can bet it's going to be a nasty slack or that fourth place check is going to be real easy and he just takes guys completely out of their game and and i think that's what that's what you see so many times and you kind of get to learn how to how to win behind certain environments but i, I don't know what I, I just think about that from suggesting or taking a young kid that's wanting to learn how to rodeo you know how would you do that if you did get a rope with your son okay let's say you do crack your son out and you want to teach him how to win and do that what a what are you gonna what are some of the things you're going to try to instill in a young person that's learning how to rodeo? Well, 
every day I try to instill it prepared when we have right. clients here. He's got to be ready to rope at 10 o'clock. Horse booted up, warmed up, ready to heal. When we have headers come in, you know, preparation and finding out who run your cow is a must. If you can get a history, two runs on what he did, a video of a guy that had him, you know, the more contacts you have to be able to call somebody to find something out about a steer technology now my wife used to film them all in slack so we'd have a list of them but knowing what the steer does before you nod your head is such an advantage and having a rerun so you can make an point at right. it and my boy dustin i've had a lot of help with dustin i've had him quite a bit when i was in santo he come rope with me rain going and catching this year at the nfr yep. they he dropped the ball on one he stuck some, wow, right. rank. But when they just had to go make some clean runs, he messed up that one, and then they drawed a tuple, tough steers, and hung it on. That one's going to sting for a while because he had a chance to win his first world title, him and Travis Graves this year. Now, towards the end, they didn't draw good, but that one steer, if he could have had that one steer back, and we worked on all the time going and catching. It was funny. He come to the house. I told him, I want you to be four, but I don't want you to reach. I literally had to cut his rope off where he had only one coal and he a little bitty tail. He told you about it? Yeah. I said, now go be four. You got to use the horse. There's the horse in this equation. I don't care how much ability you have. When you, If he would have used that approach, just rode his horse, stuck it on short line, the last four steers, and been four, won a check, one second average. Yep. And he told me, he said, I dropped the ball. I said, you quit swinging. I mean, the guy with that much ability, I do not believe that will happen again. He's, I, he's dangerous. If he's saying that after, after an NFR, he, that, makes him, that makes that person real dangerous. What he does is so impressive to me, the level of difficulty. Now, the guy that throughout all of my rodeo and career is a guy that wore my patch when I started – Speed roping a little bit. You probably know him. Derek Begay. When he showed up on that pain horse that would go in three or four different directions to the score line, duck so bad. (laughs) I'm talking go right behind where the barrier was. The amount of ability and rope control. I told him one time, I said, Derek, it don't have to be that hard. Like, that horse needs to go in a straight line to the cow. Right. And then I saw that horse go at Cheyenne one time. Yep. I never knew that horse could run. I, I got a funny one right quick. Uh, that roping at Tulaney Lake out on the, the reservation that they pay the fees to the BFI. Mm-hmm. I watched him head on that horse there, and I was like, I was blown away. This is right when he just come on on this paint, and that sucker could run up in the middle of him and do some stuff. And that's when I realized, I was like, this this relationship between these two is special. You know, he, he can do some stuff on this horse. That, that's amazing. Hey, I've watched a lot of Mad Bombers, Blaster, a lot of them that throw and duck, but that Derek Begay, the level of difficulty in his run. Right. I wouldn't practice on that paint horse. Right. What he did, he that saddle horn would move, drop, and go different ways directions and you watch the video it's like 
that was impressive what he could do. Dustin, what he can do with his rope is impressive. Driggers has really started progressing to being an all-around header. Last instead of months. Yes, instead of just the mad bomb, I've had the conversation with him. Your ability far succeeds everybody else. You got to learn to use a horse and not your ability every time. I was a mad bomber, but I could back in there and go catch when I, the situation be a fire. Cheyenne, there's a different game. You got to use the game. You got to put the right player in the right position, and right. you got to use the right horse. But you got to tone your ability down. Heading is boring if you do it right. Yeah, it's 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 monotonous almost. Like it's just a process and executed perfectly, and it'll win at a lot of places. And those guys that can execute it, uh, what what it gets where it gets really unique is like what you could do. I remember watching the U.S. Open winning it with a leg, and, and you know maybe things, my best head never. Yeah, I I sat front row for that, and that was pretty impressive. Um, but I just remembered thinking they're done and it was was it round one with the leg or second round, second steer and i just remember thinking oh they're done and then i watched the third steer and i'm like wow that's pretty fast and i well, watched the fourth steer and you know to know that you had that in your playbook and then just same thing go to the bfi and and can knock him down and, and win and and not make it harder than it was to win you could just play into your horse or play into the run well bob was at the end of his his uh journey there he'd finally started right. i'd reached on him enough it was 2002 i believe was a year that we won it with a leg but bob had turned into being a little bit of a rodeo horse by that time and uh was funny he rope a leg he lost a leg yeah I, the I, bfi we he rope a leg we won all won them all three that year he roped the leg on the third or fourth one and got the bonus leg he stuck a foot it right okay. back in at that one and at the u.s finals he roped a leg and it got out. Right. And then I won the George Strait with somebody else that year, all on Bob. Yep. But what was so neat about that was I had been rodeoing on Bob. So all I did was four runs is like we let her fly. And I'll never forget Rube Woolsey was high call in that roping. I was a second behind Rube. We were fifth callback. And we were five. Right. He was at the back end of the arena, and he literally cussed me when he rode out the back. I've wrote my mm off all day, and I'm back in the box, and i got to be 6-2 to beat you. I've wrote perfect. Wrote seven-second cow every time, and it was a compliment cuss. Yeah. But it was like unbelievable heading. And I'm like, he wrote a leg. It was time to bomb on. He goes, how can you go at the fifth cow? to win when all you got to do is catch and win money. I said, number one, my horse was quick already. It wasn't like I had the luxury. I've done bombed on him three times all the way. I'm better off going that way than trying to run him in there and him be ahead of me. Plus, I had a lot of confidence I could pull it off again. Yep. But, yes, Rube was mad at me for a while after that. Now I'm good friends with Rube, but it was like my one chance, you – yeah, and it, well, it's funny because it's the ability and the confidence to do that. And then on top of it, I think where where you are winning and you know you can do these things, so it makes it you're almost more relaxed. Like I, I notice that after I have a, a win or something, I'm I'm a I'm a little more comfortable. Like even after the BFI, my 
thought process shifted. I tried to head and open to win money back and make sure that I don't lose. I, I could kind of keep going. Then I noticed I started roping these ropes and I'm trying to figure out how to win first or second. And, and I, cause I had money to risk. And I noticed when I did that and I loosened up, it changed how I wrote these ropes and it, it helped me. It's, it, it, I didn't know it, but it really kind of opened up my heading, but I, I experienced it at the BFI. I got, I was on the fortunate side of it, but Tyler Wade did the same thing. He was fifth call or whatever and went at him and Billy Jack slipped a leg or whatever happened. But if he connects right there, I don't even try to win the BFI. And I know that being high call, if they connect that, I'm not even going to try it. I'm going to go for second. And, and that's, that's a weird thing to think about when a header can do that to you. And I, and I cause Tyler and I, we talked about, it. I was like, Hey, if you got him, you won the BFI. I'm not even going to, I'm just going to take some money and go home. That's what Rube said. Yeah, I, I, that, that's not my game. Yeah. I'm like, I, I know what I'm going to do and you beat me today, but I'm going to go get the rest of the money that I can. And that's, and that's how I'm kind of built. But since then, it, it really. We're that, built that way because of the two things we yeah, established out here yeah, a while ago. Exactly. Because you don't have the range that you need. To and, do something like that. Yeah. And, and, or the confidence, like it's been. I've done it lots of times, and so that's that's the next phase of with my heading. And you stay within your comfort zone, and I've never had the mentality to stay within my comfort zone. If I couldn't do it, I was gonna figure out how. Right. I had a steer trip and fall. At me and Tyler Magnus was high call over in Louisiana one day, and we had to be at eleven or twelve to win the open. The steer takes a step, what I was supposed to see, and I left. He stumbles. In the alley, right. I break the barrier. I come home, I set up mazes in my box. I wanted to react as I'm going. If that cow stumbles, react my score and pick up, pull. I got 11 seconds. Get out behind the barrier. Right. Put yourself in a position. I nod with the cow's head turned all the time. I tell people in the practice, and nod with him not turned. Don't look. Make it harder. Right. Practice what's going to happen because you're going back in the box, and as you get to the top of your nod, he's going to turn. See if your horse waits on you. Yeah. But set scenarios up at home that's going to happen to you at Ropens. Well, I love this mentality of, um, oh, because every header, uh, a huge percentage of ropers, if they break the barrier because the steer stumbles, the steer stumbled, cost me winning the roping. Your mentality is, I should have figured that out and I should have got out of the barrier and I need to know how to get out of the barrier. Even though the steer falls down, leaving the chute. How can I win on that steer? And I think that's a different in mindset that, that you know, that makes, I, I, I think it's a big thing. to. I can tell out. you a few things don't do. Don't put a water hole in front of your chute. Okay. Steer steps in it, turn sideways, you T-boning. <laughs> don't do that one. I put barrels, made them jump. Right. I put pipes in the chute to make the steers jump when they leave. Some steers leave, some steers don't. I put ropes in the chute, time so the horses watch the gate, the whole deal. I'm going to tell you a funny thing on Viper. I would love to say I was that good a scorer at the national finals, but my horse Viper had a major hole in him. Right. Guyman wasn't a good place to ride him on walking dead fresh ones. You know why? Because the cow was walking, we didn't get in a real big hurry to go to him. Right. At the NFR, practice for the NFR, I have been in the box, back up, nod, go, swing, lean, cow don't move, 
Cow takes off, horse takes off. Right. My horse would cow so well at the national finals, if the cow went slow, we went slow to the cow. If that cow left and run, he run. That's... And that was one of the key things that he was so great at the national finals, but at Walking Dead Fresh Ones, when you let him out there, he didn't just blow to him because... And the, all the building rodeos, it made him so great. I could get up and float to the line because the cow was going slow, we were going slow. And if that cow run, he run. Yeah. I wondered about that. I, I just remembered it now, but there was, I don't know what years, or it just maybe happened all the time, but I remember just thinking, he's broke the barrier. <laughs> Multiple nights at the NFR, and I'm young at this time, but it's, and, and that, that he explains floated. a lot. He floated it, to the line. It felt like you broke out so many times over there. Never. Just Those guys always compute him having a soft chest. He just would hollow chest. He just <laughs> melt into it. Yeah, that's that's real special. Well, Speed, we've we've been going at it for an hour and a half. Is there anything we want to add? I, I know we did a, a video shoot today. Um, we we did a lot with the you know on the speed trainer. Showed a lot of things. I think there's a ton of benefits to it. And you know the other thing we talked about is uh, we both have websites with same structures. You know membership based websites. Obviously, you've been doing it for a long time, and I think that was the, was the first one out there. And no, Ricky was the first one. Ricky, okay. Ricky had his online deal. Okay. Ricky was the first one that I knew of. But my theory was I wanted to teach people what I taught my kids right. and my clients because I was so private when I rodeoed. Yep. I didn't elaborate my thought pattern. I didn't talk to people. I was very quiet. And But my mentality was anytime I engaged in a conversation while I was at an event, it was taken away from my preparation. Right. And, you know, since I quit, and then when I started online, it's more visitating, talking to people about potential clients and teaching people how to rope. It's really changed the personality, a lot more outgoing, a lot more friendly, talking in the whole thing. But uh, when I was competing, I was very mentally quiet. I was always thinking about what I need to do next. Yep. And I... I mean, I get it, and there's a lot of guys out there like that still, and I think there's ways. Guys just lock it in different. You know, some guys are a little more outgoing in competition, and, and I think that's it's what makes it so special is, you know, you roping, you only have this little window to get into the that zone, and so you have to, if you, the more consistency you can create, obviously, it helps with performance, so.